you for that. As Bob said, my name is Abby. Um, it truly is great to be here with you all this morning. Some of you, uh, I found out a couple weeks ago, I've been referred to as Announcement Abby. Um, thank you, Shannon. Um, it's great. So if I start talking about First Stop or the care station, we're just going to roll with it. We're going to get through this together. Um, it's going to be a great morning. But really, it truly is a blessing to be here, to be able to share God's word. Be able, being able to be here this morning is really redemptive in my life. So thank you for being here and um, letting me be able to share what the Holy Spirit's been doing uh, in my heart through this passage as we get into it today. But before we start reading it, I want to continue to remind us of the context where we find the disciples in this moment. Okay, so we've had the Last Supper, um, and then they were in the upper room for a while. Jesus is telling them some things, and now they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they don't know what's going to happen there, right? The disciples don't know that Jesus is about to be arrested, but they're talking, and Jesus is sharing some things with them. And so in reality, these are his last words to his kind of his closest people. And so I want to pause for a moment because I want to look at today's passage through that lens, the weight that that carries. And without getting too far down a morbid path, um, think for a second what you would share with the people that are closest to you if you knew it was the last time that you would talk with them the last things that you would share. For me, I know I wouldn't necessarily be talking about how many times my dog peed in my house yesterday, what, what flavors crumble cookie that you need to check out this week, you know, what my latest uh, favorite TV show is. Those are things I do talk about with my people, but they wouldn't be on the list. I would be talking about the most important things. It would be a summary of the things I wanted them to remember. They wouldn't necessarily be brand new things because hopefully the people that are closest to me in my life know these things that I'm sharing with them on a regular basis, but they would be a summary of the most important. And so when we come to what Jesus is saying today, I just encourage us to view it through that, that this is really a summary. Of course, everything Jesus said was important, right? I'm not saying that, but this is a summary of the most important. He breaks it down for us. Now, last week, Pastor Bob started in chapter 15, and really this week is a continuation of that. It's almost like within the same breath. So just pretend that Pastor Bob just walked off stage, well, he did, but he just walked off stage talking about chapter 15, and I walked on the other side, because really it is a continuation of the same thought. But for those of you who weren't able to be here last week, I'm going to read that part of the passage, because it's so important to tie into what we're talking about today. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 15 of, of John. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
So we talked about this reality of abiding in Jesus and what it really looks like to be connected to him. And that out of that connection to him will just spring this flow of life and goodness and this good fruit that we talked about that, that, that will just come out of you when you are connected to him. And so today we get to talk about that fruit. So last week we talked about being connected and this week we're gonna talk about the fruit that, flow, that will flow out of you when you're connected to Jesus. Let me just pray uh, for our time as we get into this next part of chapter 15. Heavenly Father, it is because of you that we are here this morning. You chose to wake us up this morning. You chose to get us to this building, whether it be dragging our feet or excited to hear what you have. We're here and we're expectant of what your spirit is going to say. And so we give you free reign to this moment. We give you free reign to this time. Speak to our hearts for what it is that you have for us, each of us individually to hear you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick up right at verse 9. We're going to keep going. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should, should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So starting in verse nine, we see as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We could spend really truly the whole day talking about that one verse and what this means. But, and it feels fitting for us to be talking about love, right? when we're talking about bearing fruit, because last week, Bob made sure to talk about what that fruit looks like. When we look in the passage in Galatians, right? The fruit of the spirit, the things that will characterize someone's life who is abiding in Christ. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, so on and so forth, with love being listed first. And love is really this all-encompassing word of all the rest of the fruit is truly summarized within this word love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Sound familiar? Yeah. But remember that we have continually talked about how this is a directional thing. It starts with God's love for his son, and then the love that flows from the son to us. So before we can move into anything else, we need to somehow be able to a little bit comprehend this love that God had and has for his son right? The father's love for his son. John 3, 35 says that the, lo the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. If you have a child, you know a little bit of glimpse of what it looks like to have a father's love. But this is even bigger than that. It's bigger than anything any of us can comprehend on our own. It's a love that is deep and wide. John 17 talks about how God loved his son before the foundation of the world, that Jesus is his beloved, that he is well pleased with him, that he honors him, this depth and this breadth, that without the Holy Spirit, 
we would have no, no way to comprehend it at all. But if we have the Holy Spirit, we can start to understand a little bit of what that love is from the father to his son. And it is out of that love that then flows the love from Jesus for us. And if we don't begin to grasp the love that Jesus has for us, if we're not connected to his love and abiding in his love, the rest of this passage is meaningless. We should just go home (laughs) because there's not much to talk about if we don't first understand the love that Jesus has for us. Do we understand what Jesus did when he died on the cross? Do we understand the state that we would be in if Jesus hadn't died for us on the cross? As much as we hate to admit it, we all are sinners in need of a savior. We were born that way. And it's not just this one time, yes, Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that I'm in need of a savior. I'm a sinner. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Amen. Go on with the rest of your life. It's a daily thing that when we wake up, we can say, I know what path I should be on, but I'm not because Jesus died for me. And wake up every single morning knowing I am loved by my Savior. Because when Christ died on the cross, when, she, when he showed his ultimate act of love, we were his enemies. He didn't do it just because... Um, we were this, he looked, you know, to the future and he said, Ooh, that's an incredible group of humans. They deserve this. They're going to be so great. I'm going to make sure to, I'm going to die for them. See Abby, that one, you know, 2000, whatever, 21, I'm going to die for her. She's so awesome. It's going to be so great. She's worth it. No, not because we earned it and not because we deserved it. He died for us. I think Romans 5, 6 through 10 talks about this the best. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Did you catch that? So we are at a righteous person. Someone might die for a righteous person. For a good person, well, okay, someone will probably die for a good person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't fall in the category of the righteous. We don't fall into the category of the good. We fall into the category of the sinners. He goes on to say, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Did you catch that? We were his enemies when he died for us. I don't know about you, but that kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I'm like, wait, that's a strong word to use. I don't like that. I don't like being someone's enemy. We weren't just someone's enemy. We were Christ's enemy, and he still chose to die for us. We weren't just broken from him. We weren't just distanced from him. We were his enemies. So that we could be saved, he died. That we can be redeemed and brought into relationship with him. He gave up his life so that we can have life. That's the love that we're looking at. That's the love that we're talking about. And that's the love that we are to abide in. Again, this word abide, it really means to live in, to reside in, to find our home in. 
So I got a puppy two weeks ago. Never had a puppy before in my life. I think we have a picture. Oh yeah, right there. Her name's Harley. She's awesome, right? She's adorable, she's cute, but she's a puppy, right? Anyone who's had a puppy's like, oh yeah, I got you, I understand. And you know, a lot of my time with Harley is spent in correction mode. Harley, don't chew on the rug. Harley, don't chew on the rug. Harley, you have 10 other toys right there. Don't chew on the rug. Harley, don't chew on the rug. Harley, don't pee there. Harley, don't poop there. Harley, stop biting my hand. And now it's my hair, right? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And I think we could spend a lot of time um, down a path of talking how, how some people view their relationship with God in that way. However, that's not where I'm going today. Because the biggest thing that I'm working on teaching Harley is that my house is her home. Now, it's still my house, I'm the boss, but it's her home. I'm teaching her that she will always have a bowl of food and water, that she will always have a fenced-in yard to play in, that she'll always have a warm bed to sleep in at night, that she'll always have someone there to pet her and to pick her up when she gets hurt and to have her a place where she can run to when she is scared. She will always have someone she can trust in. Now, does that come naturally to her? No. <laughs> She's learning. She's learning. She has to learn that she can abide and reside in my home and that it's her home too. That if she ran up to another house, now even though she's incredibly adorable, she's not going to get the same care at that house as she would at home. And in just the same way, it's not necessarily natural for us to abide in the love of Jesus. It's not natural. When we talked about being connected to Jesus last week and abiding in him, I started to think of like, but why is that like a struggle for me? Anybody else? It doesn't necessarily come naturally. And then we start to feel guilty because we're like, well, why didn't I just run to Jesus? Like I'm supposed to run to Jesus. I have this relationship with Jesus. And we start to beat ourselves up or we start to run to other places when we need to remember that we need him in order to be able to abide in him. We need him to teach us what that looks like. And we need to learn that. And it takes time. And he will show us when we continue to go to him. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Going on to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now this is where, again, the English translation gets a little mixed up because I read that verse or you read that verse or Joe Schmo off the street reads that verse and we think, see, it's a list of do's and don'ts. Do this don't do that. Do this. If you keep my commandments, then you can have my love. But only if you keep my commandments, then you can have my love. But that's not what it's talking about. Because if it was based on my efforts, I wouldn't be able to do it, right? Because the commandments that we're talking about here is the commandment to love one another. And as we've talked about, in order to love one another, we need to know the love of Jesus, because if we don't know the love of Jesus, this is where it stops. The love doesn't flow out to everybody else. And so we can't possibly keep the commandment to love one another if we're not abiding in Jesus. And so then we could never get to this place if it was dependent on my actions. We see so many other places in scripture where it talks about because he loved us, that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, not because I'm good enough, 
It's not a conditional statement. As Bob talked about last week, it's a promise. It's a promise that when you abide in my love, you will love other people. When you abide in my love, you will keep my commandments. When you abide in my love, this fruit is going to pour out of you. It's not about earning. It has to be the other way around. He goes on in verse 11 to say, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be complete. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Which, in other translations, it says complete. Which I love the vision that that means. This, this meaning of your joy being complete. Meaning that no more joy could be added to it. That it is joy to the fullest. And so I, when I was reading this verse, I started to think about, okay, so where do I try to find my joy? Where do I look to in this world to find joy? And then where do we as people and as our culture, where do we look and seek that? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the peace that Jesus brings. And now we talk about the joy. Shockingly, two things that this world has totally messed up <laughs> our view of. Because our world has said that those two things are completely dependent upon circumstances. And Jesus is saying the opposite. <laughs> you may have complete joy and you may have complete peace even in the midst of anything that's happening in your life. No matter how much we lack by the world's standards, these are things that the world doesn't understand. You live paycheck to paycheck and yet you have peace and joy? That doesn't make sense. You just had a miscarriage. You lost a loved one. And even though the pain feels unbearable and it's so hard to even think about taking another breath, you still have peace and joy because of Jesus? You just lost your job and you still have peace and joy? That doesn't make sense. This past week, we were worshiping together as a staff. And as we were sitting there, of course, we were talking about Jesus and who he is and all he's done, and we're worshiping him. And I guarantee you, my uh, watch was on Do Not Disturb. But in that moment, <laughs> for some reason, it got bumped. And so Siri started listening to us sing these things. And so out of the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a song, Siri says, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> And first I was like, oh crap, that was mine. That was my watch. And second of all, I smiled a little bit inside because I was like, how true is that? The world doesn't have an answer. <laughs> the world doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense. So why do we still, knowing that, put our energy into finding joy in our work, in our relationships, in our money, in our schooling, in our possessions? Why do we still do that? What I love about this verse is two things, and they're on the screen. One is that we won't find our joy complete anywhere but in Jesus. And number two, it's possible to have complete joy. How cool is that? How cool is that? I love that. I get excited about that. Okay, we're going to continue. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone did lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. Note that obedience is not what makes us a friend of Christ. It is what characterizes and shows that we are a friend of Christ. Did you catch that? Obedience isn't what makes us his friend. 
It is what shows that we are a friend of Jesus. Again, it's a promise. And it all comes back to the source of this directional flow, that God so loved Jesus, Jesus so loved us, we abide in him, and it flows out into our lives. You know, love is a word that we, again, as a culture, have distorted, right? We throw it around like it's just another thing. I use the same word to talk about caribou java chunk ice cream as I do to talk about how I feel about the people that are closest to me. Do I feel the same way about those two things? No, I do not. <laughs> but I use the same word. The wor- we've, we've started to use um, the word love and the word like as this interchangeable thing, right? Can you like someone and love them? Absolutely. That's really easy to do. I think you're great. I like you. I love you. It's great. Can you not like someone and still love them? Yeah. It's what we're called to. It's what we're called to do. You know, I love you, but I really don't like you right now. You've heard that phrase? Hopefully not too many times in your life. Maybe don't use that phrase on your loved ones. That doesn't really go in a good direction. But our love for others is not and can't be dependent on how much we like them. Our love for others can't be about us at all. (laughs) It's sacrificial. It's saying no to me and yes to you. Now, I know that that, even that phrase can be, you're like, woo, but I've struggled. That's unhealthy in my life. I get that. I'm a two. (laughs) But in the most healthy of way. You know what I love about verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friend. That even if you're single, like me, you can experience the greatest act of love that any human can experience on this earth. Yeah? And if you're married in this room, that just because you're married doesn't mean you're actually experiencing the greatest act of love that one human can have towards another. But what I love most about that is that all of us can experience that love. All of us can give that love, but do we? Do we? We as followers of Jesus, those who are abiding in him, we have the picture perfect view of what love is. I was your enemy and you died for me. We have access to the ability to love in crazy ways because we know the love of Jesus. We have access to know what it looks like to give ourselves sacrificially, to love not out of selfish reasons. Reasons. We as a church, we should be the shining picture of what it looks like to love on this earth. We should be, because we have the example. Yet every single day, most days, I read on social media from people who proclaim to love Jesus and are speaking anything but love about others. I hear people who claim to be followers of Jesus talk about people who are different than them in a way that is anything but uplifting. I see people who claim to love Jesus who are more concerned about my rights as a human than about caring for the people who have different beliefs than their own. I see people attending church on a Sunday morning and then going home to their homes and not loving their family. I see people worshiping God on a Sunday morning, but then making fun of their coworkers the next day at work. I see people who claim to love Jesus unwilling to engage with people who look different than them, unwilling to see my finances and my time 
as his. I could go on and on. And I could start big picture. We could talk about our neighborhoods, our cities, our state, our country, and even into our world because there is so much love to give, right? But it has to start here. It has to start with how we love each other as a church body, how we love our kids, how we love our roommates, how we love our friends, how we love our spouses, how we love our parents. And by the way, I'm not talking to your friend. I'm not talking to your parents. I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you that you're kind of like mm, elbowing. I'm talking to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You want to know how connected you are to Jesus? Ask a really scary question to the people around you. How am I doing at loving you? How am I doing at loving you? That's scary, because we don't want to know the answer, right? And then we're going to get defensive, and then for that, and then it's like, oh shoot, I'm really not really doing a good job at loving you, because I just reacted in a certain way. But if we as a church, and if we as a body, want to be a shining light to our world, want to love others well, are we willing to ask the questions to know how we can do that and to know how we can grow in our relationship with Jesus? It's a scary question. You, I'm just gonna let you sit with that though. Going on. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. A servant, the difference between a servant and a friend, a servant is told what to do. Do this, do that, go there, go do that. A friend tells you what they're doing and invites you to come along. Hey, I'm doing this really cool thing, you wanna come with me? That's what a friend does. Jesus says, hey, I am bringing life and love to a broken and hopeless world. Come with me, join me, join me in bringing life. Our last verses, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There really is no greater feeling in the world than being chosen, right? If we were being picked for kickball teams and Jesus was a captain, we wouldn't be picked second, third, fourth based on our abilities or how liked we are by the team captain. It wouldn't be because we deserve it. We are all chosen first. We are chosen first, not because based on any of those things, Jesus looked at us all standing along the fence and said, I want all of you. I'll take all of you. Even though we looked side by side and said, hmm, really them, really them. And he said, 
yeah, I want all of you. And in this moment, Jesus is taking a moment to remind the disciples that they didn't do anything to deserve this love. They didn't do anything to deserve being chosen. And he's reminding us too. Because I don't know about you, but if I thought I deserved this, if I thought that this love for me had anything to do with how good I was, my worthiness, my ability, or my likability, I would be so tempted to think that I got to be selective and who I thought deserved my love. But I don't get to. Because it's not because of what I've done or how good I am. I've been chosen because he loved me. And that love then comes freely out of me. We are chosen out of his love. We are chosen to abide in his love. We are chosen to bear fruit. And then we are appointed to love others. Your job, my job, love one another. As someone who is an enemy of the one who saved their life for eternity, what does it look like then to live out of that? I was his enemy and he loved me anyway. I was his enemy and now he calls me friend. And the only way that I know how to love, if you've ever felt any bit of love from me, is because of him. Is because he first loved me. We have been forgiven we have been chosen, we have been set free. And so we go today living out that reality because he first loved us. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray a prayer of blessing over, over you from um, a letter from Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Let's pray. For this reason, because of the gospel of Jesus, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen.